welcome back to We Bought a Mic for our coverage of Tribeca 2021. My name is Ernest. I am documentary watching Hunter. And you had a chance to interview the filmmakers behind The Last Out. Uh, yes, I got a chance to talk to the co-directors Sammy Khan and Michael Gassert about their new documentary that is premiering at Tribeca Film Festival. Um, this was just hands down one of the best things I've seen at the festival. I really love this film. If you have ever seen uh, the incredible documentary um, Hoop Dreams, this is very reminiscent of that in that it starts out as a sports it feels like it's going to be a sports documentary. And as the story progresses, it becomes more about these, uh, these players as people and about their own personal journeys. Um, it's extremely well done. It follows uh, three Cuban baseball players, Happy Oliveras, uh, Victor Barro and Carlos Gonzalez, who um, just have dreams of making it in major league baseball in America. And, because of sanctions that are still in place between Cuba and America, you cannot just be a Cuban baseball player and come straight to America. You have to go through this very roundabout journey of shady sports agents recruiting you to go to a different country to gain residency there before you can try to sign with the team as a free agent. And the film does a, a just a great job of taking you on these journey and making you really care for the three players involved all right well i hope you enjoy hunter's interview with the filmmakers behind the last out let's go to that interview right now be joined now by the co-directors of The Last Out, a film that's premiering here at Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, Sammy Khan, how are you doing today, Sammy? I'm doing well. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Hunter. Of course. And then the and my daughter is sleeping in the back seat there, so she wants, to, <laughs> she wants to get a word in. Oh, don't worry. No, I have plenty of questions for her lined up. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and then the other co-director, Michael Gassert. How are you doing today, Michael? Hey, Hunter, what's up? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot. Happy to join you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, first of all, I just want to ask, um, how did the two of you meet and what made you decide to want to tell the story? Well, uh, you know, we're, we're old buddies from, from doing the films together based in the New York area when Sammy was doing his, um, his first narrative feature, Koya. He hit me up first, you know, I had my histories in sound mixing. He hit me up for some scenes here in New York. And I think we just had a really good vibe. Um, and when when Sammy came came to me with this idea, initially, you know, to to record some interviews, I was like, hey man, you know, I I see where this is, and I and I and I totally am locked into this brilliant idea and understanding the difference of you know that Cuban Cubans have in particular to to make this immigration journey. Um, I was like, I think I I might know some some friends that might want to support this, so. It was, it was, we were, it was good timing for both of us, but I, you know, I think Sammy can tell you a little bit more about how he came into the whole idea of, of following a Cuban baseball journey. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that sort of, you know, like Mike was saying in terms of good timing was that we, we discovered this language once we started going, um, we discovered this language of how to tell 
this story visually in terms of this intimate verite. You know, it was like, we're going to shoot it on prime lenses. Um, we're going to keep the production as small as possible. And for uh, aspiring documentary filmmakers out there, I say uh, it's a good idea to team up with a sound person and a cinematographer when you're starting out. And I think that enabled us to capture the film the way we did with that um, really immersive verite. Um, and I think that's where, you know, the ideas I had for what, you know, the sort of pie in the sky ideas of you know, when there was nothing, um, you know, recorded, um, when the rubber hit the road, when we started filming, then it was great because like Mike was like, this is how we're going to, this is how we're going to like put together a really small sound package to record this journey. Um, and, uh, again, like that, I mean, also it took trial and error. It took like, you know, months and sometimes years to figure stuff out, but it was that sort of fortuitous timing where pieces started to fall into, you know, into place. Um, and we were able to capture this incredible story as it was unfolding. I was actually, uh, just gonna ask a follow-up. How long were the two of you working on this film? Well, with, with our third partner, John Miller, um, it's been about six and a half years, wow. seven years now. I mean, we've been finished for uh, about a year at this point. Was when we, I think, put the final touches on on the film. You know, preparing for Tribeca twenty twenty. But yeah, it's been a long haul. I I remember early on, uh, after you know, we caught captured some amazing stuff in our first year and a half or so of shooting. Uh, and I remember, I think Sammy and I were at the at the Getting Real conference in in LA, and and we met up with Smriti Mundra, Sammy's co-director on State List Superman, and she's like, guys, just so you know, like it takes about six years to make a feature doc, and we're like, no, oh, we're gonna be done in like <laughs> a year and a half, you know, from now or whatever. But we knew that the the edit process was gonna be long, and we were fortunate to work with incredible editors, uh, Carlo Gutierrez, uh, Mark Becker, and Daniela Quiros. But we really needed to, we had a wealth of story and a wealth of characters and to really make it digestible and, and represent the entirety of all of their stories in the best way we could. We had to go through quite a process of, of really leaving no stone unturned. I mean, Carla really brought out, you know, some incredible character and, and just the heart of, of these guys, you know, initially. And, and, you know, it's, took a while to tighten it up and make it what it is now, but it's been quite a long road. <laughs> I figured that it had to have been a long time because whenever I was doing some research before doing this interview, I found an MLB.com article from 2015 that, li that uh, lists Victor Barrow as a player to watch coming over to the majors. I was like, oh, okay, so this was definitely a long time coming. I'm sure it was frustrating then having to sit on this film for a year due to COVID and everything else from the last 12 months. I think we've kind of felt like the guys maybe felt a little bit going through the process of, of trying to get signed. You know, it's like we felt like we had this incredible story on our hands and been so, through so much, all of us, you know, collectively and personally, just to realize it. And, you know, when the pandemic hit, we were in the same boat as everybody else, just trying to navigate uncharted territory. And, and fortunately, you know, with the incredible team behind us at UTA and our, our PR folks at 42 West, we've, I think, hopefully been able to break through the noise a little bit here. Absolutely. Um, 
I did want to ask, because uh, your film, you film across several different countries seemingly simultaneously with um, going to Cuba and talking to the families of Happy and Carlos and Victor, and then in Costa Rica where the players are actually training, Los Angeles, and then, of course, following Happy through his journey through Central America and Mexico. How did the two of you split up that filming process did it all happen at the same time or was that just kind of editing kind of putting all the pieces together well i mean for, i guess that's on the top level the thing is we believe that there's emotion an emotional truth that's like deeper than any sort of chronology of facts um so and the other thing to mention is that there was only three of us <laughs> making this film uh, and uh you know we couldn't be in you know five different countries at at one time um, but there was, there were moments where we were, we were splitting up, um, to cover the unfolding action to sort of the, the most harrowing was when, uh, you know, Mike had just done a stint in Costa Rica and he had come back to New York. Um, and he got a, a text from happy. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where, you know, he faced a decision and then, you know, he, he called me up and we sort of faced a decision or happy was cut. And so what were we going to do? Uh, and, you know, Mike can talk a little bit about that personal experience because, uh, you know, that was sort of that one of the pivotal moments in, in the filmmaking process. I think, um, you know, Sammy had the instinct early on that we really needed to embed ourselves in the story and to really get close to these guys, you know, uh, filming their baseball tryouts and the practices they're they're performing in those moments even if it's you know a private showcase so you know their agent wants them to get used to the cameras and this sort of thing but we knew we need needed to take it to the next level and just started embedding ourselves you know staying with the guys there in the same apartment so when you know the rubber hit the road with happy you know it was instinctual for us that we knew you know we we like the other guys had been waiting for something to happen somebody get signed something like this so you know, we knew we had to follow it uh, wherever we could. And that really helped build trust with the other guys down the road as well. Also, when Sammy and I went to Cuba and, you know, we're literally knocking on the doors of these guys' families, staying in their bedrooms, eating their favorite meal with their with their mom and sending videos and photos back home. You know, we got word that, you know, when Baro first saw like photos of his family, he'd started breaking down, you know. And so we had these conversations with them after we would come back from these sort of things. And, and they were like, okay, we, we get what you guys are after now. And we definitely benefited from, you know, we were working remotely and, and seemingly individually in a lot of ways, but we were so connected and staying in touch, you know, on that, on that journey I made with Happy, Sammy was always, you know, looking one step ahead for us and, and looking out as well as John. And, you know, other times too, when I was in Costa Rica and Sammy was with Gus in LA, we could re relay the real-time information and really sort of put it to, to Gus, for example, like, hey, this is what the guys are saying and experiencing down there. You know, like they haven't had lights on in their apartment for three months, you know, like they're, they're living with, with friends and girlfriends just so they, you know, have food every day. So when these things started to happen, I think, you know, we are a small team, but we spread ourselves out, I think, really well. And I think we're able to capture that that intimacy while, while you know, still keeping the production value, like, high enough for, for yeah. a documentary feature. So, 
I mean, that connection that you have, it makes so much sense that you did develop more of a personal connection because that comes through so well in your filmmaking. It feels like these players are really opening up to you and being honest. And that honesty rings through uh, the entire film. Do you still keep in touch with Happy and Carlos and Victor? Absolutely. Yeah. We talk to them all the time, almost every week. Um, You know, COVID's made it harder um, because, you know, a lot of us are just figuring out how we're going to survive. Um, and, uh, you know, I think for new immigrants like, you know, Carlos and uh, Happy are that it's especially tenuous. Um, but, uh, you know, we've formed relationships, friendships with these guys. You know, we're sort of, you know, I hope all the craziness of the last couple of years has kind of shown and disproven the idea of sort of objective journalism you know, is like kind of standard. And as documentary filmmakers, you know, our commitment is to the story and to our subjects and the participants of this doc. Um, so our relationship with the guys like goes, uh, will go on for years and years. Um, and, you know, they've participated in some of the Q and A's we've done. We hope that they can come to some of the screenings, but again, you know, COVID has to go away. Mm-hmm. So we can take some of the pressure off um, financially. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, How is Victor progressing in the Dominican? And I did have another question. If you are comfortable answering it, you don't have to if you're not. But did you ever find out like what happened with Carlos's disappearance during the filmmaking? Sure. I'll I'll mention about Victor first. Um, I've seen Victor recently. He's been he's still in Santo Domingo, uh, Dominican Republic. Uh, I've been sort of based down there this last year. Uh, and it's been rough for him. Like Sammy was saying, COVID definitely, you know, uh, shines a light on on the inequity that exists all throughout our societies, and and including Victor, who's undocumented in Dominican Republic, trying to work during a time when work is scarce, uh, let alone you know continue to follow uh, his trade. Um, but recently, he's been coaching a bit uh, with an academy down there. Um, which is better than, you know, how how he's previously been getting by. And I think he's close to uh, resolving his papers insofar as he'll be able to at least visit his family soon. So we're really keeping our fingers crossed uh, for him. Um, what, what was the second question um, then? Oh, Carlos. Carlos, yep. Yeah, Carlos is, yeah. I mean, I think the thing, one of the trickiest things, like both in the filmmaking and the editing was to capture the sort of spirit of Carlos. You know, he is like, mm-hmm. he is very ethereal and very elusive as a, as a, uh, as a character, as a person. You know, you, he's there intensely with you for days on end, and then suddenly he's not returning your phone calls and you can't track him down. The most, one of the most vivid interactions uh, was when Mike and I were in Miami hoping to meet him as he arrived and to meet his sister. Um, and he just kind of ghosted us. And we ended up spending a weekend watching Naked and Afraid in a hotel room near my <laughs> airport. Um, but th- that said, the, um, you know, those confessional moments he gave us um, were some of the stuff that I'm most proud of, like the work that went into getting Carlos to feel that comfortable sharing that stuff. Took years, literally took years to get um, and, uh, you know, he was struggling for a long time to, uh, to, to, you know, to figure out 
what to do. Um, and, uh, you know, at a certain point he sort of had to, you know, he had to, uh, cut the cord on Gus's operation and sort of go dark on them. Um, he was sort of more forthcoming with, uh, with us about where he was. Um, but we felt like that sort of the way we captured that again, felt emotionally true to, um, that his experience and how he left Costa Rica. I, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, it really, you do get a great sense of each of the characters and who they are as people um, through kind of the different ways that you portray each of the three of them. Um, I did want to talk to you a little bit about Gus. Uh, I mean, he's originally presented in the film as this hero figure who is taking these Cuban athletes and helping them achieve their dream of making it in the majors. And as the story progresses, he kind of becomes a little bit more, we see a little bit more of a shady, possibly villainous side of him. Um, what led you to taking that approach to kind of slowly unraveling this character as he's not a perfect person? I mean, one of the main things that comes to mind for me is seeing Happy really broken down, just like I was signed for $100,000. Like, you don't think I'm worth 100000 They don't think I'm worth 50000 And then later on, we see Gus saying, oh yeah, I could have signed him for 100000 but it's a business. Can't do it. So what, what led to the decision to show, show his story like that? Sammy, why don't you go ahead and kick it off? Okay. <laughs> it's like, there's so much, I'm, 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 always, I'm curious about how Mike will tackle this too, because it's like, this is like an ongoing conversation. There's so many facets to Gus, right? Like there's so many ways in and like every time you like think about him, we talk about them, there's another angle to talk about, you know, another side of him that, you know, you hadn't considered. Um, but I mean, it was hard in the edit, right? It's like, we don't want him to be a villain. Gus is like somebody who suffered in his life. You know, he fled, um, you know, the Cuban revolution, which had some noble ideals, but did persecute people. Um, and he was persecuted by the U.S. government. And so he's like this complicated character. And what we found, um, more so since we finished the film, is that he's kind of a Rorschach test for the audience. It's like some people, maybe wealthier individuals, really identify with Gus. It's like, he's just doing what he needs to do to survive. This is a business. The guys knew that, that they were getting into a business and Gus just needs to cut his losses. But, you know, I think filmmakers, artists, writers, they kind of, they see themselves in happy Carlos and Barro and see Gus as being, you know, this kind of, you know, puppet master, the one that exploits people, the one who's like, uh, cuts his uh, cuts his losses and treats people like they're expendable, um, and so I mean it was a hard it was a hard balance to find, but we sort of wanted the North Star was like this, uh, you know, that emotional truth. What's like the what's the emotional what's the thing we can agree on? The three, four, five of us, however many were in the edit, having these conversations. What's like the emotional truth of Gus? Um, he is this complicated figure. You can't pin him down, right? Like he has, he did, he is running a business, but like, what kind of business is it? You know, when you're luring people out of their home country, that's kind of messed up. So somebody needs to say that. And, you know, late in the edit, we put in that Roberto moment where Roberto is kind of like spelling it out. Um, and being so like, put, 
you know, what the fuck, man? Yeah. <laughs> this is like the rest of way to live a life, to have a career. Like what responsibility do you owe another human being? So for me, that's like where I, uh, you know, where I see like the, the richness, the complexity of Gus, but also for us, the challenge. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. You know, I think, I think about when, you know, Happy got shown the door and I think we weren't surprised and understood. And I understood from just a financial standpoint where Gus was, they, they needed to make some changes. They maybe had over-invested into this group. I mean, there were more than just the three guys that we focus on there. But I think we were just kind of taken aback in the way that it was done. You know, it's like, how do you promise a guy that he can help his family if he leaves his country and, you know, you'll look after him? Uh, you know, when you show him the door without even like a bus ticket or, or, or a helping hand, you know, when, when Gus says sort of in, in that, in one of his last interviews where, where he's in the car, he's like, these guys understood that, you know, there's a limit to this. And I was like, how well did they understand that? You know? And, and the way that we saw, you know, the relationships play out, not just between the guys on the field, or excuse me, in, in the film that, that we focus on, but some of the other characters who were like, I don't want, I don't want Gus representing me anymore. There was other guys that, that, that left, straight up left and went to Nicaragua and other countries. And Gus, you know, unfortunately tried to make their journey even harder, you know? Mm. So it's like, man, you know, like it, we do business with human beings and, and you know, we think about products as things, but there's always a human being behind it as well. And I think we just wanted to be more conscious about that. And I think Gus really like helps us ask that question. We take certain things for granted, like sports, you know, I love watching sports, you know, but, but there's a cost to it. There's a cost in, in every corner and, and there aren't always clear lines of right and wrong, you know, mm -hmm. We like to believe, and I, I still believe that Gus was well-intended, but at, at the end of the day, you know, he, he was looking out for himself, you know? Yeah. And a, a good business person needs to, to some degree, but, but at what human cost, you know, there's, there's, and that's for, for, for anyone else to decide, you know, I think like Sammy was, was saying, we're just really after the truth as well as we can show it. Yeah, I think that I can't remember if it was Roberto who says it, um, but somebody said, like, I know the reason why you haven't signed and it has a first and last name that is yeah. just kind of brutal. Like it is it's so tough. I mean, I can't even imagine for the players. Um, I know we're about to be out of time. Um, and I had a couple more questions. Uh, I would love to talk to you in depth about your entire journey to get through Central America and Mexico with Happy. Uh, but I do want to ask one last question. Um, Whenever I was watching this film, I couldn't help but think about the uh, documentary from the 90s, Hoop Dreams, where we start out as it feels like it's going to be this sports documentary following these young aspiring athletes. Then as the film goes on, it becomes more about the people and about their personal lives and their personal journeys. Um, what were some of your inspirations while you were making this film? Well, you definitely hit the nail on the head for me. I mean, I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my dad went to Marquette. And I remember watching William Gates. And I think, you know, 
when it came out, I was, you know, a young teenager and it was probably the first documentary that I consciously watched. I remember going to the theater with my father and recognizing like coach Kevin O'Neill on the screen recruiting these players. And I knew there was something that, that was a little unsettling about it, you know, to me that, you know, you're going into these guys' homes and, and promising them the world, even though, you know, those are amateur athletes, an example of amateur athletes, but you know, there, there's a double-sided coin to it. You know, you're with, with every risk, you know, reward is, is so closely correlated that, you know, when you're a young kid and all you can see is, is reaching the finish line, you know, you don't think about like when you're going to get caught or the possibility of not making it or missing your family and this sort of thing. So uh, for me, I definitely, definitely drew on that incredible work by Steve James, but uh, I'm sure Sammy can mention a few of his influences too. Yeah. I mean, just to mention Hoop Dreams, I think the, and to bring it to the present day, I think it was like a huge influence on all of us making the film. And I think what we hope is that uh, films like that, films that don't fit neatly into a bucket, um, can still find homes and still can still find distribution in an age where there's so few outlets where, you know, one company owns so many different uh, distribution platforms that films and documentaries especially aren't just reduced to buckets. Like, here's the sports bucket. Like, how would you quantify who dreams? Yeah, it's like, you said it's like sort of a basketball story, but it's something deeper, right? It like takes right. a turn and becomes something else. And I think we, you know, we aspire. Dreams is one of the greatest documentaries of all time. We're not comparing ourselves to that, but we aspire to that standard. And that was something that was really important to us, which we talked a lot about. It's like this is this is not just a sports film. This is about something deeper. And I think now where the industry wants to reduce us all into like widgets, you know, as like consumers, we're we can consume sports content. We consume strict sports content. Um, but like, hopefully there's still a space for, um, for documentaries that are more challenging, that don't fit neatly into one bucket or another. I think that this film will definitely find an audience in that whether you are a baseball fan or not, this is such a powerful human story. And that shines through so, so much in this film. Um, I thank you again so much for your time. I know that we're completely out of it now. Um, we went a little bit long, but thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I love your film so much. It's one of the best things I've seen at Tribeca this year. Thanks thank so you much. Thank you so much. Your amazing questions. It was a great conversation. It's a pleasure. Thanks Bye. a lot. All right. Thank you so much to the team behind the movie, The Last Out documentary that just premiered at Tribeca 2021. Uh, does it have a home yet? Do we know um, when I people are going to see don't it? don't believe so. As of recording this, it does not. Um, it's going to find a home. We actually, I talked about that on the interview, uh, the film that you just listened to that uh, Sammy has like, just kind of like some hope, like I hope that this finds an audience. And I, whenever this does find a streaming place, I feel like this will be loved by people like it was for me because this is a very human story at its core yeah it's not just uh for sports fans it's yes yeah. for i'm anybody. not the biggest baseball guy like i like sports but i've never really been a huge baseball kid since i was really bad at it and stopped playing little league when i was 12 years old so um 
it's it's more about of a human story and showing kind of the journey to get to America. I, I like you can hear at the end of the interview, I have had like several other questions that I wanted to ask these filmmakers because it's incredible. Some of the stuff that they depict on the film that I just didn't have time for. But yeah, great, great movie. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed that great interview and thank you again to the filmmakers for their time and coming on our show. We really appreciate it. And we hope that you will check out the movie once it is available to the public to see and stay tuned to all our other uh, Tribeca 2021 interviews and coverage from the festival. Please be sure to rate and review and subscribe to the show if you enjoyed it. Uh, donate to us if you are able to. We bought a mic.net if you want to donate. Uh, we bought a mic at gmail.com if you want to reach us at we bought a mic on um, social media if you want to follow us. And we thank you very much for listening. We love you. Bye bye. Bye.